Today on another edition of the Beltway Briefing. My name is Blake Rutherford. I'm joined, uh, as always, by Mark Alderman, the chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, and Howard Schweitzer, the managing partner of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Mark Howard, great to be with you. Blake here. Uh, it is another week in uh, the administration of Donald Trump, and yet it is only a month into the administration of Donald Trump. Uh, but uh, dare I say it today, uh, all quieter on the Western Front than than perhaps it the has West, been the West Wing. Front. The West Wing Front, right? Uh, than it has been, which I think affords us a unique opportunity to kind of just take a step back, take stock of what we've seen. You guys have done, um, I think, a, a, an outstanding job of sort of analyzing the evolution of this administration, hour to hour, day to day, week to week. Um, but we are now a month in, and the government is not as staffed as I think we would we would have expected it to be. There has been um, some policy challenges, lots of disruptions. Um, but again, new administrations find their footing in their own way, um, and certainly this one this one is attempting to do that. So I thought we would begin our discussion um, kind of in an open ended fashion and. Mark, I'll start. I'll start with you. Let's just take stock of the Trump administration uh, one month in. Well, I think Blake that one of the things we are seeing is something that Howard and I have actually written about, which is that Donald J. Trump repealed every law of primary and general elections. But he doesn't seem to have repealed the laws of Washington. There are fundamental laws of Washington physics that are asserting themselves here a month in, and they will have consequences for the Trump agenda. One such law is that Congress hates the White House and the White House hates Congress, and you know, Blake, Howard and I know from our, our work and uh, our conversations that the White House has very little knowledge of or interest in what Congress is doing. Congress has very little interest in or knowledge of what the White House is doing. And there are parallel health care programs being worked on. There are parallel tax plans being worked on. And that is going to come together and collide at some point when they actually start governing. Howard, what is what are your impressions of this administration so far? Well, I'm going to start with an ITYS, because last week you guys laughed at me when I said that I thought there was something good to be found in the whole Flynn episode, and it actually was. Trump replaced a very divisive character in Flynn with somebody that's been universally applauded as an excellent pick for national security advisor, a stabilizing factor in the White House. H.R. McMaster. H.R. McMaster. Um, True. Another intellectual general. Um, and, and that's a good sign. Is it the answer to all of our concerns? No. But it's but it's a it's a good sign, I think. Well, and the Flynn investigation continues. that continues that will be ongoing for multiple right. years. But um, we upgraded, no question. No question, we, we upgraded. upgraded. So, I'm. I think if you're looking for signs 
that the Trump administration knows it needs to get its act together and do things differently. To me, that was that was a sign, and um, a, a very good one at that. So, and, and Mark, I agree with what you said. Um, you know, the administration is working hard on tax reform, on health care reform. They are going to drop legislative packages on Washington. And um, that's coming in the next couple of months. And I think they are absolutely operating in parallel universes. And all of the dates that each parallel universe is declaring yeah. are therefore parallel, but, but surreal. The idea that we will have tax reform by August, as the Secretary of the Treasury promised, is a fantasy. The idea that we will have health care reform this spring, as the Speaker of the House promised, is a fantasy. And un until they start working it through, we have no idea when any of this will happen. Well, we go ahead, let's, Yeah, let's. I want to get to the policy in a minute, but I, I don't want to gloss over, I think, some of the dynamics that are in influencing why there is you know, this this sense that um, Congress may be going its own way, the White House going its own way, and perhaps they divide and conquer. Certainly, we, we've seen, we've seen uh, information that the White House may really look to Congress to drive tax reform and, um, and health care. I want to come back to that. But, but for both of you, and, and you can tell me whether it matters because you know, Trump speaks so much about ratings and so much about um, the role of, of, you know, him and his staff in the eyes of the public. Public approvals matter to this president, as we saw with the 77-minute press conference. Um, which, Is that what that was? That was uh, a press conference? I, I don't know. I, 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 that's, what, that's, what, that's what Sean Spicer called it. Okay. So I'm going to just... Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna say what he said. Hard. Um, but but here here's some here's some numbers. Quinnipiac came out with a new poll. High, you know, very reputable polling outfit. President's got a 38 percent approval rating. He's got a 55 percent disapproval rating. Only 44 percent of the country approves of how he's handling the economy, and 49 percent of people see his White House in quote chaos. Does any of that matter at this stage? Well, two things. One, none of it mattered in the general election because he had uh, historically low numbers in every category you've just cited, and he is now the president of the United States. So I, I've lost uh, a lot of enthusiasm for polling right. uh, post-November post 8th. I, I don't know that the numbers are even right, let alone that they matter. But I'll tell you what does matter, I believe, which is, is apropos of that question. And this, again, is one of these laws of Washington physics. A president begins his, I was going to say or her, but that would be wrong, begins his administration with a political capital account that he spends down to get things done. I think that President Trump is is spending down that account more quickly than other presidents have. And when the time comes for governing and for legislating, I, 
I don't know how much capital is going to be left in that account. Certainly there's none with the Democrats at this point. There was thought that maybe Chuck Schumer and Donald Trump would get along because they were both guys from New York. Well, that ain't happening. We are six weeks into this thing. This stuff takes time. It's hard to start an administration. Even Barack Obama, and he, he brought in a class of experienced political operators. I was there. I can't tell you how slow out of the gate they were. Incredibly slow. But you were there and part of it. He passed a stimulus bill that, right? along with TARP and many other programs, helped save the economy in the first 70, 80 days. It was April. I yeah, think. right. That was a unique time from that perspective. We were on the edge of a cliff. So that, that was a different time. But And that obviously had some impact on their ability to get going. But I'm not talking about a legislative agenda. Who cares whether they've introduced a major piece of legislation yet? That's not a referendum on how these guys are doing. Their job is to govern. Their job is to get their house in order. It's to staff up the administration. It's to start to govern. They are off to a slow start, but they know they're off to a slow start. I don't think the opinion polls matter. I think he is preserving his, his base, which is frankly, he, maybe he cares too much about that now, but that's, you know, he, he's got that in his back pocket. And now he's trying to build an administration. And I think they know that. I think there's more self-awareness in the White House than people are giving them credit for. So to, to this notion of, of, of sort of building the government, because we are hearing, we are hearing this, this government is understaffed. Um, I mean, it's, it's six weeks in and he finally has a national security advisor, which is arguably the epicenter of all national security policy in the government. Well, he had one before. He just had <laughs> well, that live. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but, but you understand the point, which is, you know, we there's a story out today where, where Rex Tillerson is, as a fact, trying to figure out how to recalibrate his own positioning yeah. because of the tension between cabinet secretaries in the White House, which I, I'm, yeah. I would like to talk about because you guys have experience with this, and trying to figure out what that foreign policy apparatus really is going to look like. Um, and, and, and so some of these challenges, well, yeah, I mean, we could debate whether the president, whether Congress should have introduced a signature piece of legislation. I think, and, and not, to, not to editorialize, but I think what the Trump administration would say is, we came out hard on immigration. That was our, that was our number one issue, and we're, we're, we're out hard on that with, with new rules. Be that as it well, may, Mark. A Muslim ban that has. I, I, yeah, I'm not taking it. I'm just they saying can't here. Figure out. No, but this is pertinent. That they are taking their time to try to get it right. And to Howard's point, that they are aware that they've been doing it wrong. I think that that is evidence that that they've learned something. We'll see if what comes out is constitutional. But yes, they they have learned from that experience. Look, so, Schumer has very effectively slowed the confirmation process. Um, they're doing a good job with the tools they have, mm -hmm. slowing things down, of kind of showing what they want to show about the cabinet nominees, um, that they being the Democrats, 
And I think when you slow down the secretary, you slow everything down that goes along with the agency. So that is you know, one factor. Another factor is these guys just weren't expecting to win. And so, as I've said 500 times now, they didn't have an effective transition operation. And as a result, um, they're slow to staff, but so was Barack Obama. Um, so was George W. Bush. Uh, do we, I mean, I mean, to be fair to that, I mean, I think there was, you know, certainly, and part of this, I think we, we would all agree is, is sort of Trump's persona and this notion of management styles and different executives have different management styles. You guys have advised CEOs who you put two guys around the table, they're going to tell you exactly what they think, and they're not going to agree on, on how to run a company. Uh, Trump runs his company, how he runs his company, and he certainly sought to bring some of that into the White House, right or not. We're certainly not experts on his management style, but boy, we sure are focused on that management style a lot. Is that helpful in our understanding of the functionality of Washington at this stage? Put another way, it, does it matter that we're talking about it's, it's this? helpful in our understanding of the functionality of the White House? It's not helpful in understanding the functionality of Washington because, con to your point earlier, Mark, Congress doesn't give a hoot. Well, that's not true. They're, Congress is coming to the realization that they need to start ignoring the tweets, and they need to put their heads down and do what they're going to do. And they got to kind of block the White House out to the extent that they can. And, and two things. One, what management style, I would ask. I'm not sure how to answer the question about his management style. I I don't think we know what it is. I'm not sure but, he does. But I think there are a lot of different things going on here. This is multidimensional chess, and it isn't all being played by Donald Trump on his board, although he certainly commands the most attention. One of the things that is going on, and it is what is really, I think, energizing and animating these town hall meetings, like we saw, Blake, with your uh, state senator I want, I want to get to I want to get your thoughts. One of the things going on is that after seven years of promising on day one of a Republican administration and a Republican Congress to repeal the Affordable Care Act, that hasn't happened. That's not on Donald Trump. That's on the Republicans in Congress. Then it was repeal and replace. That hasn't happened, nor is it going to happen anytime soon. So you can't, you can't lay those town halls all at the feet of, of the president. I, I think you have a lot of different things happening here. And and some at the other end of Pennsylvania. Absolutely. But I think you're wrong, Mark, that we don't have clues as to his management style. It may be unorthodox and um, there may be some conflicting signals. But I think, again, back to the McMaster appointment, he deliberately put a guy in the job with walk-in rights to the Oval Office, whose reputation is being a guy who will buck his superiors, who will right. say that's the wrong decision. That's, I got to I don't care if you're running a law firm, running a Fortune 500 company, or running in the United States of America. That is a very powerful, that's the most powerful thing you can do as 
a manager is to hire somebody who's going to tell you when you're wrong. And to me, that's just a great sign. I think it's a great hire. Whether it's a sign or not, we'll see. But it is a great hire. And the country is better off for it. And, and I thank the president for a great hire. Let's talk about we'll see if it's a sign. I mean, let's let's talk. Let's talk about because I think because we have some we have some time. Trump is staffing up his cabinet. His cabinet secretaries are becoming more visible. Um, General Mattis or Secretary Mattis now, I should say, is and Secretary Tillerson taking trips abroad, heading to Mexico, among other among other places. You all talked about. Secretary Mnuchin's comments about tax reform. Um, but it still seems like that the epicenter of policy power in this administration is the White House. In every administration. Right. I mean, it's, well, this, yeah. is, this is not new. Where was the power in the Obama administration? Was it at Foggy Bottom with Hillary Clinton? Or 1600 Pennsylvania with Barack Obama. Yeah, ta- There's taking, no question. Taking a step back, I think, Blake, that is a trend that has been accelerating for decades. Mm-hmm. That I completely concur is not new to the Trump administration. Was it was it in the White House with George W. Bush and Dick Cheney, or was it in Foggy Bottom with Colin Powell? Well, it, it was nice that you acknowledged the president in that in that, <laughs> in that scenario. Well, that's what I was Fair enough. To. I threw Cheney in. That's exactly what I was coming to. That is an accelerating trend, R or D, for decades. The White House has been aggregating the power of the executive branch. And that will not change with this president. My question, though, is apropos of President Bush and Vice President Cheney, who who is wielding that power in this White House at at this time? Obviously, Steve Bannon. Well, right. I mean, that's it's a nice segue, Mark, because I wanted to ask. I didn't hear your answer. Steve Bannon. Right. Right. President Bannon. Right. Well, Howard, I wanted to ask about that's the way the world works. Because we have seen, and, and again, I think it's it's interesting. Who was doing that in the Obama White House? Um, President Obama. Barack Obama. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it He's revolved. the one who got elected. Right. If I remember correctly. It revolves. Which, actually, well, ba- Valerie Jarrett is actually the answer, Mark. Um, I just wasn't quick enough on my feet there. So, so it's good. Come no, it's the same in every administration, whether it's in the person of the president. I'm sorry, Blake, I interrupted. No, 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 no. But whether it's in the person of the president or it's in whoever's behind the president, if your point or your question was, is it Mike Pence or Donald Trump? It's Donald Trump because they're Trump's people well, that are running the White House. They're not Mike Pence. No, that's people. not my question. Okay, my, what's well, your you question? You answered my question. Is okay. it Donald Trump yeah. or Steve Bannon? And you answered my question. This is a president who very much unlike his predecessor, we can roll the clock back if you want to others, but Barack Obama, whatever his imperfections, and he came to the job almost as inexperienced at governing as Donald Trump, he had an intense interest in the job, in doing the hard work of being president. This president, to me, appears to be far more interested in the public aspects of Well, the obviously, but he's also, the stylistically, they're very different. I mean, Barack Obama is a lawyer, and he governed at the beginning of his presidency like a lawyer. He, yeah. he was very deliberate. 
and looked at both sides of the issue. He's not impulsive. Trump is clearly impulsive. Well, He's very he, public in his impulsivity, yeah. if that's a word. He also he, didn't believe things that aren't true. Well, that's or deliberately put them out. But you know what? There is <laughs> okay. So there is that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, there's a lot to be. There is a lot to be wringing our hands over. Yeah. I'm not saying that the world is perfect, and and I've as, as I've said many times. God forbid there's a major crisis tomorrow. We got a problem. Yeah. Well, um, but but back well, to – I'm sorry, Blake. Go ahead. No, no. What I was going to say – I mean what I was going to say is, I mean, it, to the extent that, that, you know, the sort of thematic here is, you know, finding your footing in some ways riding the ship, in some ways recognizing that look, there is a nature to Washington. You guys have talked yeah. about this. You've written about it. That you just sort of have to understand its rhythms, and you can ask anybody. Yeah. You can go ask. Obama, you can go ask Bush, you can go ask Clinton. You just sort of got to adhere to its rhythms, and we're starting to see some of that with with the president understanding how ice. We hear this from every president, you know, how isolating the White House is, how lonely right. his job is. Um, he has more of this president seems to have more of an open door policy than other presidents. I think well, because it, he likes that communication. Yeah. Omarosa has, has walking, fewer people. I know. Good, yeah. good fewer that's, people. Yeah. That's, good, that's good and bad. But I do want to talk about agenda set. That's going to change. Like, what? Can I just say that's going to change? You're taking away Omarosa's walk-in. I am <laughs> taking them away. No, I think at some point, at some point, he's going to bring in somebody that's going to impose order on this White House, and it may be in two months, it may be in six months, but at some point, mark my words, that is going to happen. There's going to be more structure to this it thing. It will happen in a crisis, and. The crisis may well be the the fuses that are burning on these investigations. You know, two, just to finish the point, if I may, two of the laws of Washington that are still operating are 60 votes in the Senate to pass legislation. Yes, there's the reconciliation footnote, but that isn't how they're going to get tax reform done. So watch, Howard mentioned it earlier, watch. Chuck Schumer, the 60 Democrats, the 60 votes in, in the Senate, 48 Democrats still matter. And a, a law of Washington physics is the slow-burning fuse of investigations. Everybody's always investigated for everything. Didn't take long. <laughs> Didn't take long. The fuse is slow-burning, but it will it will blow up at some point. It, is it going to be... Threatening to the administration, who knows? But maybe, maybe it'll be the opposite. We're jumping around a bit, but I want to say. But that's when the yeah. the new chief of staff comes in. And I want to say something else about the agencies, Blake. On your question about kind of whether the power is at six hundred right. or not. Right. You know, I think that's most acute in foreign affairs. This State Department v. White House um, kind of power battle that takes place in every administration. Um, that's, I think, where we see that operating um, most publicly. You know, by and large, the agencies, they go on with their jobs. I think we may see it some more in this administration in places like the EPA. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. But you got to understand, in the bowels of these agencies, how much happens every minute of every day that's of a highly consequential nature that the public never sees 
it's highly consequential to a very small group of people on whatever the given issue is, or sometimes a large group of people. But that doesn't shift. That doesn't move. Tons happens. The longer it takes the administration to staff up, the more control the bureaucracy has in that regard. So I think there's a danger in overreading the tea leaves as far as um, the state White House thing, because it's not the dynamic with other agencies. So I do want to talk about agenda setting, because you, we've talked about you know Congress being at this point where, look, they, you know, Howard, I think you said put their head down and go do their job, and we're starting to starting to see some of that. Although, Mark, I, I think I think anyone who understands the rhythms of Washington knows the the the, the tax reform is, is certainly not happening in the way the secretary says it. But it doesn't mean tax reform won't happen. Right. In the same way that we're now seeing that infrastructure, um, which was you know a big focus of the campaign from from both sides, we've all talked about that publicly in different forms and what that might mean may get bumped uh, to next year. But the administration's not doing anything. People will say this administration's not doing stuff. I, I want to go back to to the role of, of Trump's base in terms of influencing his agenda, um, because there are there are really two kind of signature elements that have come out. One, which is which is happening in part, sort of stops and starts, successes and failures, which is his executive authority approach to immigration. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can start with the Muslim ban, which then has been rescinded. They're reworking, although Stephen Miller came out and said, look, it's pretty much going to have relatively the same effect. It may be written differently, but this is what we think will happen. We've now also seen rules putting in place which will accelerate the deportation of illegal immigrants, and the administration has started to hire at a far rapid pace right. than any other administration, border patrol and uh, and enforcement officers. So immigration really is a live wire in this administration, which was sort of signature to Trump and part of part of his base. The other that we saw was, interestingly enough, the first kind of tension among this administration was over um, the administration's decision to rescind um, the the uh, the rules affecting transgendered students, um, which appeared to have put the attorney general and the secretary of education at odds, which is palace intrigue, and we care about it. Nobody else does. But nevertheless, Mark, this is sort of the agenda. I wanted to get your reaction to the executive agenda well, at this point and kind of what it means. Uh, well, I think two things. First, the president clearly intends to do by executive order as much of his core agenda as he can. He actually intends to keep his promises from the campaign. And whether it is the wall or it is the travel ban or it is the transgender rule, he is going to keep his base happy by the stroke of a pen with order after order after order, which will to a degree actually implement those promises, a lesser degree than accept immigration than, than many may think. But but something that Howard always says and and I at pains here will will agree with them, jobs, jobs and more jobs. His base ultimately is either going to be satisfied or not, depending on their economy, not the markets, not 
Wall Street, not even the American economy, but on the economy in rural Wisconsin and Western Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania, and and points in between. Points yeah. in between. He to be determined. To be determined. That isn't going to be possible with the stroke of a pen. So, Howard, what do you make of that? Because the because tax reform, obviously, the secretary sort of. Uh, alluded to, look, this is a kind of a 3% growth plan. Yeah. I mean, certainly for there to be jobs, there's got to be some economic growth. There's, you can't, I mean, I mean, we, we can debate policy all day long, but, but I think we all know that on a, on a very generalized scale, if we're going to create jobs, people have got to start small businesses. They've got to, they've got to feel that entrepreneurial assistance yep. um, in order to go out and do the kinds of things that they can do, or they've, they've got to find enough, enough opportunity to be able to hire and expand their business, which we can talk all day long about yeah. how you ought to do that. Um, but but the, first of all, Howard, do you, do you think in light of what we're seeing with Trump that the focus really is on jobs or is it on his base? And let me caveat that with going back to his press conference, I was fascinated by 34% of people who watched that thought it was great, which to me is his base, right? His base thought it was great. And it's easy to sort of, I think, get caught up in some of that. So I wanted to get your both your reaction to Mark and then sort of how does the, the executive agenda get shaped over the course of the next couple of months? Well, I think his base, I mean, I think there are things like what he did on the, the transgender issue, which is pushing it out to the states to decide, which, you know, people I'm sure have different views on that, but... Well, we know they do, but um, uh, that was clearly trying to give something to the cultural base of the party. Um, but his base is 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 jobs. It's the economy. It's immigration and trade. Um, and I think there's a lot he can do on trade. Um, renegotiating NAFTA is certainly on their agenda. There's less he can do to uh, kind of immediately impact the economy. Congress isn't going to pass an, an, another stimulus package, but I think they want to get infrastructure done. They want to do tax reform. I think, and, and as you always say, Mark, the hip bone's connected to the thigh bone. Reforming the Affordable Care Act and tax reform are very closely linked because right. – there's a trillion dollar of taxes at Obamacare. Um, you can't do one without dealing with the other. So uh, there's a lot of that to be worked out, but I think he's got people beavering away in the White House that are going to put his plans out. And then there's going to be a giant negotiation. And I think their view is 18 months from now, things are going to look a lot different than they do today. And I think they, I think they will. So with, with that in mind, we have seen um, in the context, I think, initially of the Affordable Care Act, but they have blossomed. And Mark, you you alluded to this earlier, which is, you know, the sort of uh, sort of roles have reversed. We saw the town hall mechanism and the Tea Party really, really show up as as any citizen should and express their attitudes and opinions about their government to their elected representatives. Um, that is flipped now. We're seeing we're seeing people who are more opposed, I think is fair than not, to, to what's going on in Washington, uh, showing up and questioning their 
their elected officials. Last night, Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton had a had a town hall in, in northwest Arkansas, which is a Republican haven. He's never elected a Democrat to Congress, including beating Bill Clinton uh, in, in a race. So, um, it, And yet people were very vocal um, about it, and we're seeing that all across the country. What do you make of that, Mark, this early in an administration? We have to watch and see where it goes. I think it is a continuation of the energy that was unleashed literally the by the swearing in of Donald Trump. We saw the marches the next day, which were enormous. I don't want to get into a Twitter war with the president about whose crowd was larger. Good exposure. But they were, well, that's Howard's <laughs> job. I, I don't know how to do it. But I, I think that has continued. I think it has accelerated, in fact. I think the intensity and the energy, to me, are surprising. Not that they exist, but that they have burst into such a, a public forum. Whether it is sustainable and whether it is translatable into electoral success, way, way too soon to know. But I, my hunch is that, that this is not going to stop. I, I don't think it's a bad thing, but I think it's missing something, which is uh, what they want. You can't just always be against something. It's not going to serve the Democrats or the left well to be just against Trump for four years. It didn't serve them well in the election. It didn't serve Hillary Clinton well in the election to run against somebody as opposed right. to for something. What do they want? But it did, what do you help, look the, it did help the Republicans, though, to be fair. No, it, it did help the Republicans no, be against Obama, the, don't you think? The Tea Party had a message. Fiscal conservatism. No, no, I get that. I get that. But but I'm, I guess I'm hearkening back to and, and not to, to make Mitch this, McConnell. Yeah, to Mitch McConnell. I mean, that's where I'm going. Right. This. And, and I think it, to be fair, and I was living in Arkansas at the time. I mean, it was real. I mean, and, and just to sort of give you a context was you're you're looking at a Democratic majority when Obama takes office, 75, 25 in the state house, all constitutionals, Democrats, Senate's vast number of Democrats had never actually had Republican control of any state legis of the state legislature, which is the last state in the union for, for that to be true. And Obama comes in and the anti-Obama yeah. message turns that upside down. I'm not arguing with them. I'm just saying that, well, to be fair, it was pretty effective from my point of view. Yeah. And, and I disagree with your analysis of the uh, Tea Party movement. Yes, they had a message, fiscal conservatism. But all they could do was stop stuff from happening because it was the same situation. You had a Democratic president, you had a Democratic House, you had a Democratic Senate. And the Tea Party exploded around health care in an effort to shut down the Affordable Care Act. Now, it, it failed yep. in that particular, but then in the subsequent midterms, in 2010, they had astonishing success. But, but in that, to have astonishing but, success. But in that, they arrived at a message, which was well, and that's why I say you have right. to see where this goes. Well, yeah, but, I'm not. I personally am not in favor of the McConnell scorched earth uh, obstruction strategy, and that is what they these, don't have the power to do that now. Right. 
Right. Well, well, let's talk. Let's let's talk about that because I mean I, I think we will all agree that there is soul searching going on in the Democratic Party to try and what do you do? We saw this after the women's march, right? What is it? Not everybody's there for the same purpose. Not everybody's showing up at these town halls. These aren't these aren't anti Affordable Care Act town halls anymore. They're lots of different viewpoints and 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 other things. That Actually, pro Affordable Care Act town hall. I mean, sorry, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. So. Um, but this is a big week in Washington. CPAC just kicked off. Um, we've got the we got all the governors coming to town uh, this week. And on Saturday, while it's not in Washington, but it has very much an effect on Washington, the Democratic National Committee is going to elect a new chairman, which in some ways will, Mark, you tell me if you, disagree, you agree with this, will begin to provide some sort of structure to what how a message might come together. Yeah, I, think, um, I thought we might just talk a little bit about a little more inside baseball, but I thought we might just touch on that race a little bit. No, I think the race is important because we Democrats are out of power. The DNC and, and the chair are less important when the president is a Democrat and certainly when Congress also is. But now you have Chuck Schumer by default as the president of the Democrats, and the DNC and the DNC chair will, will matter. So, yes, I think it is an important election for the Democrats. I am hoping that uh, Ralph Ellison is not the chair of the DNC. I'm personally in favor of the mayor of South Bend, uh, although I'm having trouble pronouncing his last name. I was going to ask you to but do that. He, I had that I conversation believe, as well. I believe. But let, let's see what comes from I that. think there's a huge message in who is selected. If it's Ellison, that's one message. If that's it's right. the mayor of a small town in Indiana, that's another message. I don't think it matters beyond that. I don't think who the chair of the party is. No one knows or cares outside the beltway. And by the way, all these conversations going on inside the beltway, look at the president of the United States is somebody who barely stepped inside the beltway before assuming the office. The people of this country don't know or care what the governors are sitting there talking to themselves about in Washington, what people at CPAC are talking to themselves. That's my view. The Washington needs to wake up to what's going on out in their districts, to getting some stuff done that impact people's lives, to tax reform and infrastructure reform and reform of the Affordable Care Act. That's the stuff that people cares about, not people talking to themselves in some echo chamber in D.C. Well, I, we don't have as much time today to get into it, but I do think it's a worthwhile conversation to have. I think governors are uniquely situated here in the same way that that we saw in the last administration, attorneys general are uniquely situated here because, Howard, I think you're you're exactly right in that uh, we are looking at the states. The states not only are mechanisms for if you are a if you are a true states rights Republican, the states are naturally going to have more opportunity. If you are a Democrat looking to oppose this administration in some form or fashion, the states have 
unique opportunities we saw with this, with Minnesota and Washington yep. stepping up on the president's executive order. So I think the states present an interesting dynamic, and I think we ought to talk about it. I, I made note of the of the of the governors coming to town. Number one, because they're all coming to town. And I do think they are trying to figure out. Okay, look, an infrastructure bill yeah. helps me. I just, I just threw them. I just threw them the mix because it sounded good. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, a lot of the this administration, a lot of the Trump administration's agenda is to push stuff out to the states. Right. It is to return power to the states. What they did on the transgender right. um, executive order was, or, or um, policy memo was to. Um, push it out to the states. And so the governors matter a lot. And by the way, the gubernatorial elections in 2018 are are the flip side of the Senate elections. In the Senate, you've got 26 out of 33 or 34 seats that are up are Democrats. Um, In the states, the the gubernatorial races, it's the reverse. It's all the Republicans that are up. They matter a lot. Um, and right now there's a lot of Republican control. So that that is one of the consequential policy um, yeah. points. Well, I think I think, again, I, I look forward to more discussion about the governors, because I think that's just that's an interesting, an interesting constituency and something we're intimately involved with. So I want to talk about that for the benefit of our clients and listeners as well. Um, I, I, I would be remiss if I did if I did not um, get to our. Uh, the comments and questions from today, one of which is not substantive, but I think very important to this particular person, which is he wants to talk about Trump's vacationing practices and the (laughs) impact of Trump's vacationing practices on both the federal budget and the optics of the president leaving every weekend, going to Mar-a-Lago, Expending all that money, he's already yeah, spent a lot a month. of money. He's already yeah. spent in a month what Obama spends in a year. It looks like he'll spend in a year more than the entire budget for the National Endowment for the Arts. Does it matter? What do you think? It's yeah. not that I don't think it's oh, good. that I important. I it will matter cumulatively. All of this will add up and pile up, and people will form an impression of the Trump presidency, but with everything going on, I I have a hard time getting that excited about that part of it. I was hoping the question was going to be about the seven new planets. Well, we're coming to that. Don't, don't, don't hijack my questioning. All right. All right. Howard, what do you think? He did say, I think that he wasn't going to play a lot of golf. (laughs) Right. Right. That's one campaign pledge he hasn't kept. Right. Um, by the way, I'm all for playing as much golf as one can possibly play. But, the season. Um, but well, I mean, it's, I think it does matter as a fiscal issue. There's a price tag attached to it. The voters will decide that in, in three years. Yeah. Um, but as far as not being in D.C., who cares? He's the president. He's always yeah. on the he's always on the job. It's, yeah, I was. It's I was healthy and better to get out. Not. Yeah. No, always. Mark, he's always on. on the job to the degrees on the job. Mark, there's a lot not to like. He's the president of the United States, though. He's surrounded by people, taking meetings 24/7. He's always on the job. Don't, don't confuse the. That is not what his calendar has said in recent days, but that also isn't the core issue with this administration. He's. He's working hard enough. 
So, you know, with, <laughs> so with that in mind, we speaking of working hard enough, the president is going to give his first address to a joint session of Congress next week. Um, as we have seen with this president, dare we predict what what will happen? It's a, a certainly a, a, a momentous moment for him walking into the chamber, I would expect, and, and delivering that address. But I thought we might, we're going to come back, we'll have a call next week, we can talk about day of. But um, if you're the president, Mark, what are, you, what are you talking about? Well, if you're this president, you talk about your historically God, large election. Not. God, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, you talk about the Electoral College and getting more votes than all the prior candidates in history combined. If if we look at what the man has chosen to talk about in his public appearances, including at the CIA Wall of Honor and including at the African American Museum, he's going to talk about how he won. I think there's a lot more he could do to advance the country and his administration. I, I'm done predicting what, what this guy's going to say. I mean, I think his speeches have been trending in a more presidential direction. Uh, they're more scripted, speaking off the teleprompter, less off the cuff, certainly than we saw in the early days of the campaign rally, really through the whole campaign. So I think um, we're going to see something that's um, – we're going to see a speech, not extemporaneous remarks. Right. And – God, I hope he doesn't. We sat here. About Blake asked us size. that question before his inaugural address. Both of us said it's an opportunity for the president yeah. to unite the country after a divisive election, and he stood up there and pledged an end to the American carnage that his predecessor had caused. So, yes, it will be a teleprompter speech. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Well, we will see, and we'll be back next week to to talk about it. Um, as always, a, a fun and interesting discussion. This this administration provides um, a, a whole lot to talk about, and as we get more into more into the policy, we'll we'll certainly um, be here to examine it and and talk about what it means. Um, Mark Howard, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks to everybody uh, for joining our call, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Ladies and gentlemen, that does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you for your participation and ask that you please disconnect your line.